0: hello and welcome back to the
1: about a, a uh, quasi-racist policy coming out of the Biden administration when it came to distribution of funds or COVID funds, relief funds for businesses. So it inspired me to kind of want to talk a little bit about how the Democrats actually perpetuate racism and um, how conservatives or Republicans actually are the party, the anti-racists. So um, for those of you that don't know, the the Ku Klux Klan or the KKK, I'm just going to refer to them as the Klan, was founded in 1865 and by 1870 was in pretty much every southern state and became a vehicle for white southern resistance to Reconstruction era policies. Now, here's the thing. Republicans uh, were in charge of Reconstruction. They were the ones who set out policies that outlined the, uh, the, the rebuilding of state governments after the Civil War, the instatement of, the, of, of uh, policies that would equalize relations between whites and blacks, and so forth and so on. So this the, the Reconstru- Reconstruction actually was a, uh, aimed at establishing political and economic equality for black Americans. And it, it um, was in response to the, the Southern surrender during the Civil War. And the members of the Klan waged underground campaigns of intimidation and violence directed at both whites and blacks uh Republican leaders and ironically some of the first blacks ever elected to Congress were black uh republicans and so and now we only have Tim Scott as a republican from the South, uh in the in the Senate so though Congress did pass legislation designed to curb Klan terrorism it saw its primary goal line reestablishment of white supremacy fulfilled through democratic victories in state legislatures across the South in the 1870s. So, after it, uh, there was a period of decline, because the Klan kind of worked a ebb and flow kind of thing, the, the white Protestant nativist groups revived the Klan in the early 20th century, and that's when we get into the cross-burning and staging rallies, parades, marching, denouncing immigrants, Catholic Jews, African Americans, organized labor so you see a lot of what could be perceived as right wing thought creeping in and it actually really isn't uh, the civil rights movement of the 60s saw also saw a surge of Klan activity including bombings of black schools and churches violence against black and white activists in the south and things like that so um, again it, this has always been a democrat controlled organization and a lot of people call the Klan the uh, the I guess you could call it secret police of the Democrat Party. So a, a group including many conformer Confederates founded the first branch of the Klan at a social club in Pulaski, Tennessee, in one thousand, eight hundred and sixty-five. So leading Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest was choosing chosen as the first leader or Grand Wizard of the Klan. And he presided over his hierarchy of Grand Dragons, Grand Titans, Grand Cyclopses, and so forth and so on. And, um, as a matter of fact, uh, Senator Byrd out of West Virginia was a Grand Cyclops of the KKK. Now, the organization of the Klan coincided with the beginning of the second phase of post-Civil War Reconstruction put into place by more radical members of the Republican Party in Congress. They rejected President Andrew Johnson's relatively lenient Reconstruction policies, and here's the thing. Andrew Johnson was a Democrat, and he took office after the assassination of Lincoln, who was a Republican. And to not go off on a huge tangent here, but um, until the early part of the 20th century, essentially the... Person who got the second highest amount of votes in, a, in the Electoral College became the vice president. So Abraham Lincoln received the most votes in the Electoral, co- electoral College, and so he became president. Andrew Johnson received a second amount, and he was the democrat and so he became vice president so here you have an adversarial presidency you have a republican president and a democrat vice president so this was actually pretty common up until the early part of the 20th century when we actually had the the idea of running mates uh, and a, a president and the vice president being of the same party now um so andrew johnson being a democrat had very uh, relatively lenient uh, reconstruction policies in place from 1865 to 1866 and congress passed the reconstruction act which is this more militant more radical reconstruction policy over his veto now under its provisions the south was divided into five military districts and each state was required to approve the 14th amendment which granted equal protection of the Constitution to former enslaved people and, exe- and en- enacted universal male suffrage. So women still didn't have the right to vote, at least at the federal level. So the 13th Amendment uh, basically uh, ended slavery. The 14th Amendment granted equal protection. So, And the 15th Amendment actually ends up playing into this as well. So, from 1867 onward, black participation in public life in the South became one of the most radical aspects of Reconstruction as black people won elections to southern state governments and even to Congress. Now, for its part, the Klan was dedicated itself <clears throat> to an underground campaign of violence against those Republican leaders in an effort to reverse the policies of radical Reconstruction, is what it was called, and restore white supremacy. And they were joined by similar organizations such as the the Knights of the White Camellia, launched in Louisiana, and the White Brotherhood. Wow, they sound really, you know, honorable here. At least 10% of the black legislators elected during the 1867-1868 constitutional conventions became victims of violence during Reconstruction because these southern states actually had to rewrite their state constitutions to be more inclusive, and that this policy, they had to be approved by the federal government before they were actually allowed to rejoin the union. This is how bad things had gotten in the South uh, when it came to um, uh, slavery and the treatment of, of African Americans. Um, so seven of these uh, black legislators were killed, um, were killed during this period. White Republicans, they were called carpetbaggers and scalawags, and black institutions such as schools and churches, which were symbols of black autonomy, were also targets for Klan attacks. So, again, you, you have Republicans, white Republicans, being victims of Democrat violence because they chose to empower African Americans or blacks. So by 1870, the KKK had branches in nearly every southern state, and even at its height, the Klan did not boast a well-organized structure or clear leadership. So a local Klan members would often wear masks, dressed in long white robes and hoods, carried their attacks out at night because, you know, they're roaches and they can't survive in the light. And they acted on their own, but in support of the common goals of defeating radical Reconstruction. So the Klan actively flourished, particularly in regions of the South, where black people were a minority or a very small majority of the population and was relatively limited in others. Um, The most notorious zones of Klan activity was in South Carolina, where in 1871, 500 masked men attacked the Union County Jail and lynched eight black prisoners. So the, the KKK and the end of Reconstruction um, was was very complex. Democrat leaders would later uh, attribute K- Klan activity and violence to poor Southern white people, but the organization's membership crossed class lines from small farmers and laborers to planners, lawyers, merchants, physicians, ministers, in the regions where most Klan activity took place, lo- local law enforcement either officials either belonged to the Klan or declined to take action against it. So again, you have this pervasive corruption at every level of local government with Democrats and local officials colluding to basically allow this mistreatment uh, of blacks to take place. And even those who arrested Klansmen found it difficult to find witnesses willing to to testify against them because who wants to have their house burned down? Who wants to be lynched? Who wants to go through that? So other leading white citizens in the South declined to speak out against the group's action, giving them tacit approval. So if you're not actively speaking out against this, you're kind of approving of the behavior. After 1870, Republican state governments in the South turned to Congress for help resulting in the passage of three enforcement acts, the strongest of which the clue was the KKK Act of 1871. So Republicans were actually actively doing whatever they could to try to fight the Klan. Now for the first time, the Ku Klux Klan Act designated certain crimes committed by individuals as federal offenses. So you really, in 1871, developed the first hate crime statutes. And including conspiracies to deprive citizens of their right to hold office, serve on juries, and enjoy equal protection. The act authorized the president to suspend the writ of habeas corpus and arrest accused individuals without charge and to send federal forces to suppress Klan violence. Again, you have the first major hate crime statues in 1871. So this expansion of federal authority, which Ulysses Grant promptly used in 1871 to crush Klan activity in South Carolina and other areas of the South, outraged Democrats because Grant was not only a Civil War hero in general, but he was a Republican. It even alarmed many Republicans because a lot of Republicans saw this as a step in the wrong direction in terms of violating the sovereignty of the states. We're we're trying to get the states to come back into the Union. And this was a sure bet that you're going to alienate them and possibly cause another war to break out. And because we already have a very fragile economy in the South because of the Civil War, and this was endangering that. So I can sort of see both sides of this coin. From the early 1870s, Onward, white supremacy gradually reasserted its hold on the South as support for Reconstruction waned, and by 1876, the entire South was under Democrat control once again. So um, then, so the Ku Klux Klan sort of ebbs downward, because once you have the Democrats in power, they're, they're in control of the entire power structure up and down the ballot. So what do they do? Well, they suppress everything. So there's no need to have your military wing or your secret police enforcing everything when you're in control, when you can write the laws, when you can make the laws, when you can sign the laws into law, you actually have the power. So you don't need your secret police anymore because now you have everybody on board. The the secret police don't have to be so secret anymore. So in 1915, white Protestant nativists organized a revival of the Klan near Atlanta inspired by their romantic view of the Old South, as well as Thomas Dixon's 1905 book The Klansman and D.W. Griffith's film loosely based on the novel called Birth of a Nation. And Birth of a Nation, the 1915 version, is horribly, horribly racist. It's awful, awful, awful. And I had the, I don't want to say... I want to say displeasure of having to watch it when I was a history student in college. And it's awful. I mean, it was terrible. And, uh, you know, it it was incredibly racist, incredibly just, ugh, I mean, icky. And 10 out of 10 would not recommend it to anyone. Unless you're a history student, you just want to see, like, total racism in play. So the second generation of the Klan, so let's just say nineteen twenty was not only anti-black, but also took a stand against Catholics, Jews, foreigners, and organized labor. So again, you start seeing some some of those, what you would consider to be right-wing views sneaking in. But again, it was again fueled by a growing hostility to the surge in immigration that America experienced in the early 20th century, along with fears of communist revolution akin to the Bolshevik triumph in Russia in 1917. So at its peak in the 20s, Klan membership exceeded 4 million people nationwide. But it has not yet, it's not yet been a total Republican organization. It's never been a, a Republican organization. In the 30s, the, the d- Depression actually depletes the Klan's membership and the organization temporarily disbanded in 1944. In the 60s, fast forward 15-20 years, there was a surge of local Klan activity across the South, including bombings, beatings, shootings of black and white activists, and these actions carried out in secret, but apparently the work of local Klansmen outraged the nation and helped win support for the civil rights cause. So in 1965, Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, delivers a speech publicly condemning the Klan and announcing the arrest of four Klansmen in connection with the murder of a white female civil rights worker in Alabama. Now, these cases of Klan-related violence became more isolated in the decades to come, though fragmented groups became aligned with neo-Nazi or other right-wing extremist organizations from the 70s onward. And as a Republican, as a conservative, I gotta say, I have no tolerance for that. Period at all. You know, you're, you're nativist, white supremacist, neo-Nazi crap is no place in my Republican Party. I'm a rational human who believes in equality and equity among races and that I don't believe one race is superior to another. So, um, so... So, again, um, it's still, it, even though the Klan has become uh, somehow linked, it is not a mainstream Republican view. And there are, every normal Republican I know does not claim the, the, the white supremacist neo-Nazi view. And so now I'm going to switch a little bit and, and sort of sum up using a, a great uh, article by carol swain and i love carol swain she is a political science professor a phd and she used to teach at Vanderbilt, and now she does a lot of work with prager you and she appears on a lot of morning talk shows and stuff like that to talk about different topics and she she's amazing and i could just listen to her all day and i, I just kind of wish i'd ever had the money to go to vandy so i could have had her as a professor because she's amazing and um beautiful black lady uh just just awesome and i 10 out of 10 would recommend you getting a hold of anything she's ever written because she she is intelligent she's articulate she's just a phenomenal woman um she's like one of those people i would love to meet one of these days so she actually talks about um she she doesn't just talk about the clan she actually talks about the democrats but she brings the clan into it so The Democrat Party, as we know it today, uh, was founded in about 1829, and it has literally fought against every major civil rights initiative and has a very long history of discrimination. Democrats defended slavery, started the Civil War, opposed Reconstruction, founded the Klan, imposed segregation, perpetuated lynchings, and fought against the Civil Rights Acts of the 50s and 60s. In the contrast, the Republican Party founded in 1854 is anti-slavery. It was to stop the spread of slavery into new Western territories. Um, And this effort to slow the spread was dealt a major blow by the Supreme Court. In the 1857 case of Dred Scott versus Sandford, the court ruled that slaves aren't citizens, they are property. Now again, this is 1857. This is before the Civil War. Before the 13th Amendment, before the 14th Amendment, before the 15th Amendment. So um, now, of course, we all know, um, any student of light history knows the slavery question was ultimately resolved by the bloody Civil War. Um, And Abraham Lincoln is known as the man who freed the slaves. And I should should note that the slaves were only freed in the areas that were called in rebellion, which would mean the South, the the uh, states that have seceded from the Union. So, after, about a week after the Confederate Army surrendered, John Wilkes Booth, who was a Democrat, assassinated Lincoln, and Lincoln's vice president, a Democrat named Andrew Johnson, assumed the presidency. And I've already explained how that worked. (coughs) Johnson adamantly opposed Lincoln's plan to integrate the newly freed slaves into the South's economic and social order, because he was a Democrat. He was of the opinion that Blacks were separate. They they didn't need to be integrated within our society. So Johnson and the Democrats were ultimately uh, unified in their opposition to the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, the 14th Amendment, which gave Black citizenship, and the 15th Amendment, which gave Blacks the vote. Now, all three passed only because of universal Republican support. So when the federal troops go home after Reconstruction, Democrats take back the South and they reestablished their white supremacist uh, ideology across the region with like the black codes, which are pre- predecessors to Jim Crow. The laws that it restricted the ability of blacks to own property and run businesses and they imposed poll taxes and literacy tests used to subvert the black citizens' right to vote. Now, why did this subvert black citizens' rights to vote? Blacks were, because of their previous condition of servitude, generally very poor. And you had to pay, in order to have a poll tax, I mean, in order to pay the poll tax, you had to have money. Blacks, because of their previous condition of servitude, were generally illiterate and could not either write their name or even read very much. And this is not a a, a racial statement at all. It was just how things were back in the 1860s. So the idea of imposing poll taxes and literacy tests now is abhorrent. We actually have in our Constitution that we are not permitted to pay a tax or impose a literacy test in order to be able to vote. Um, some people like to make the case, well, maybe we should have a literacy test because, you know, you ought to be literate about your government in order to vote. But literacy tests, in other words, being able to read and write your name, are not required. <coughs> Excuse me. These allergies. I just wish they'd let up a little bit. So, um, and we've already discussed a little bit about the uh, birth of a nation and... Uh, All of this. So all of this, um, these black codes were enforced by the Klan, uh, again, founded by Democrat Nathan Bedford Forrest. Now, uh, the Klan was the military force that served the interests of the Democrats. And then later on, in the early part of the 20th century, Woodrow Wilson, a Democrat, shared many views with the Klan. He resegregated many federal agencies And even screened the first movie ever played in the White House. That racist film, Birth of a Nation. Now, there was a more recent Birth of a Nation, which was wildly different. Um, A few decades later, the only serious congressional opposition to the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 came from, you guessed it, Democrats. And um, when Lyndon Johnson, uh, because everyone... No one remembers that Republicans were the ones who passed the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act of uh, 1964 and 65. All they know is that Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat, signed it into law. And there's so much more that goes into a law than just the president signing it. Again, it has to make it through committee. It has to be voted on. It has to be sent to the other to other uh, side of the of the, um Congress. It has to go through their committee. It's got to be voted on. You've got to have reconciliation. You have to, there's a process and it's not easy. And they say that making laws is a lot like making sausages and you don't want to see either one being made. And it's the truth because I've seen laws being made and I've seen sausage being made and I don't want to see either one being made anymore. But the, the thing is, we know that Lyndon Johnson signed it. And Lyndon Johnson had an excellent, uh, had a, a comment. I'm not going to call it an excellent comment. I will call it an excellent comment because it was an excellent window into his state of mind. And I'm not going to use his exact words because it was vile. And he said when he was signing the Civil Rights Act, he said, and I quote, we'll have those N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And again, I'm not saying that word. I refuse. And, um, so when you, that's a window into his thinking. He didn't give a hot hoot about the people. He cared about the fact that he just signed a law into effect that would essentially make him look like a hero and make the Republicans look like crap and bring in thousands of Democratic, actually millions of Democratic voters by the end of the time, by the end of the day. So, um, And actually, Carol Swain actually quotes uh, Johnson's um, uh, famous quote. So, um, 80% of Republicans in Congress supported the the Civil Rights Act of 64. Less than 70% of Democrats did. Democratic senators filibustered the bill for 75 days until Republicans mustered the few extra votes needed to break the logjam. And when all their efforts to enslave blacks, keep them enslaved, and then to keep them from voting had failed, the Democrats came up with a new strategy. If black people are going to vote, they might as well vote for Democrats. And as I, I used Lyndon Johnson's quote. So now the Democrat Party prospers on the votes of the very people that it has spent much of its history suppressing. Think about this. Democrats... Are voting for their oppressors. And if a black person dares to stand up to the Democrats and say, you are n- not looking out for your interests, that that black Republican is called an Uncle Tom, a betrayer, a, a you know, an Oreo. I mean, it's called all kinds of manner of things that if it was said towards a black Democrat would get that person immediately canceled. And it's, it's unconscionable. Now, Democrats falsely claim Republicans are the villains, when in reality, it's the failed policies of Democrats that have kept blacks down. Massive government welfare has decimated the black family. Opposition to school choice has kept them trapped in failing schools. And politically correct policing has left black neighborhoods defenseless against violent crime. Most every single violent city in this country is a Democrat-controlled city. You can't deny that. Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, New York City. New York City was the safest city that it could that it was ever had ever been under Rudy Giuliani, a Republican. Baltimore, I can't ever remember. And being from Maryland, I can't ever remember a time when Baltimore was actually a safe city. That I didn't feel scared when I had to go to Baltimore for some reason. Detroit, never been there. Don't want to go. My husband was born outside Chicago. Lived there for a few years uh, when he was growing up. I'm pretty sure that he didn't want to go back. And I'm pretty sure his family didn't want to go back. Uh, My husband has been to San Francisco. Democrat City. It is an absolute betrayal. My husband's been to Cleveland. He's... But on this flip, he's been to San Antonio, another a wonderful city. Again, every major violent city: Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Baltimore, Detroit, uh, oh my gosh, uh, New York, Miami, major violent cities. Every one of them, without fail, is Democrat-controlled. And unfortunately, blacks have been generationally brainwashed into listening and voting for the very people who aren't doing a day-gone thing to help them. And Donald Trump made a very interesting comment when he was running for president in 2015-2016. He went in front of a group of blacks and he said, what the hell do you have to lose by voting for me? Pardon my language. And he was right. Under Trump and the Republicans, and I can't really say every Republican because there's a few there that are not worth the paper they're printed on, we had the lowest black unemployment. And I'm only sticking with African Americans here. We had the lowest black unemployment. The, the highest amount of blacks opening new businesses. We had the highest level of, black, of funding to historically black colleges and universities. We had more minority job participation in the economy. We had a higher per capita growth in black income. Again, I'm just focusing on blacks. I mean, this is across the board. Hispanics, women, whites, old, young kids, the black unemployment rate plummeted under Trump. And yet here we sit with a president in Biden who is being a typical Democrat. He is once again enslaving the black constituency. He's making them dependent when they had developed for four years independence under President Trump. Now, I'm not a big fan of everything Trump did. I very much support him. And I'm not ashamed of this. But I will tell you, he has done more for the black community. He actually had, in 2016 and 2020, had the highest... He had garnered the most black vote of any other Republican in forever. And it it, it, it is... Shocking. He even garnered the highest percentage of Hispanic votes. People, people who did not were not traditional Republican voters, either became Republican or they decided to vote Republican because they saw in Trump someone who was successful. He took a, a million-dollar loan from his father and turned it into some serious money. Now, and I'm not saying he's not without fault. He's not. And I'm not going to sit here, and, and and this is not going to be a podcast where I'm going to constantly praise Donald Trump, but I'm going to give credit where credits due, and Donald Trump did more to help African Americans in in depressed areas than anybody else. When the Flint water crisis happened, Flint, oh, run by Democrats. When the Flint water crisis happened under Obama, Obama twiddled his thumbs and did literally nothing. Trump was in, in, in office no time, and he's sending millions and millions of dollars to, to Flint to try to resolve their water problem. Is it still fixed? Is, I mean, sorry, is it, is it still messed up? Yeah, that's, that, because that is an infrastructure issue that was never resolved under Democrats. It, it, one person can't fix it in four years. You can't fix 70 years of problems in four. It just doesn't work that way. Donald Trump cut regulations allowing people to start businesses so if we're gonna be fair we're gonna donald trump showed he took republicans back to their roots as and and said look we've always cared about african americans just because we don't single them out and other them doesn't mean that they are not important Because we believe that you can come out of whatever situation and make yourself successful. Ben Carson is a perfect example of that. He is a perfect example of someone who came out of absolute abject poverty and became a world-renowned brain surgeon. So Donald Trump literally said, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you the tools. You tell me the tools you need, and I'll help you get those tools. He provided the tools. He didn't give handouts. He gave them tools. And the black population in this country took those tools and made their own. And dropped. And they do not do it again. But you have to get out of the